Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Bill is a 57-year-old self-employed mechanical design engineer who lives in Australia with his wife and three children. In August 2018, Bill was admitted to hospital with a suspected heart attack and this triggered an intense period of insomnia that led to progressively worse sleep. Bill soon found himself following a long list of pre-sleep rituals that did not improve his sleep but did lead to more sleep-related worry. Fortunately, Bill was told about Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, CBTI, and was able to get his sleep back on track. In this episode, Bill tells us how his insomnia developed, all the ways he tried unsuccessfully to improve his sleep, and he shares the specific techniques that he found to be most helpful for improving his sleep. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on with us today, Bill. My pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. Um, wh- when did your sleep problems begin? And do you remember what initially triggered that sleep disruption? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, sleep problems really started um, in about February of this year. Um, and it's been a part of, uh, well, to be honest, I think in... Uh, August last year, I was um, admitted to hospital with uh, what was a suspected heart attack. Didn't turn out to be that, but um, it was an anxiety-related uh, issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I guess in in using a term that used to be used, it was probably what you might describe as a nervous breakdown in August last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it's been a very difficult last uh, twelve or fourteen months or so for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it was one of those ones where I guess in terms of mental health, uh, they call it the Holy Trinity, I think anxiety, depression, insomnia, they all go together. Mm-hmm. So, um, the insomnia part of it started, uh, as I said, in February while I was away from home for a few days, um, the night where I got zero sleep, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I don't think it ever happened to me that I can ever remember before. So. After that, um, those nights of no sleep seemed to be happening just more and more frequently and it, it just became very, very uh, distressing really. Um, mm. 
and um, you, you end you end up just in this I think this uh, sort of vicious circle where the insomnia feeds the anxiety and the depression becomes a bit worse and you sort of just spiral down so that's when it started yeah absolutely I think everyone listening to this will really identify with you like talking about this vicious cycle you know whereas you start to worry about sleep sleep becomes more difficult and then it kind of leads to even more worry about sleep which then makes sleep more difficult so and 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 it can just seem like this cycle is just going to be endless and it seems as though there's kind of like no way out was that kind of how you felt at the time or yeah look i think it's it's fair to say that you just become kind of quite desperate really if especially Mm -hmm. if it's something that you haven't perhaps suffered with your your whole life um and um you begin, or in my case anyway, start clutching around it for solutions anywhere you can, mm-hmm. can find them, sort of, you know, reading a lot of books and, um, you know, um, trying different medications and visits to the doctor and all sorts of pre-sleep rituals that people swear by. And you, as, as, the, as, of course, you try harder and harder, <laughs> sleep becomes more and more elusive. And so um, that's sort of that game. Um, you know, it doesn't really help you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Did did you have ever have any problems with sleep before this health issue that you experienced in August of last year? I wouldn't say for my whole life I've been a great sleeper. I've been um, reasonably reasonably okay. I, mm-hmm. I obviously went through some patches of bad sleep when my children were were young, as everybody right. does. But I think probably in my case. Um, to be honest, I, I had a, a traumatic event in childhood. My mother died when I was three, and I think ever since then I've really probably uh, slept, um, you know, not as well as I, I could have. Mm. Um, for probably so, it's probably a, a on and off been a bit of a lifelong issue. Yeah, and and how was your sleep? You mentioned that everything really kind of came to a head in February, but you kind of had this health issue back in August. How, how was your sleep, you know, between that period, between August and, Fe- and February? Was there like minimal impact and it just all came to a head when you had that night of no sleep or was it kind of disrupted in between as well? I think it could say between say August and that period, it was disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I didn't, certainly hadn't had prior to February any nights of where I couldn't sleep at all. So mm-hmm. I might've had sleep that wasn't as good as you know it could be but um i can kind of i wasn't at a level where i felt um i couldn't really (laughs) i couldn't really cope with it it was after Mm -hmm. february when i started getting sometimes not just one night of no sleep but i remember one weekend where i had two nights of no sleep and that that to me was just the absolute pits you know i Mm -hmm. couldn't really i was found it very very hard after that second night of no sleep yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I think everyone's going to really identify with what you're saying, just because for a lot of people, um, there is this quite identifiable event or issue that either disrupts sleep or makes sleep worse than it normally is. Because for a lot of people with insomnia, they've tended to always have, you know, maybe more disrupted sleep, but never been that big of a problem they've just recognized that maybe they're not one of these great natural sleepers but then once you have that one night of like no sleep like you describe 
And that kind of raises your worry. And then if it turns into two, you know, that can really feel as though just the wheels are coming off and that maybe did did you kind of feel like get concerned that maybe you've kind of like lost the ability to sleep or that there was something else that was really wrong or anything like that? Well, I I know I knew, um, you know, physically I'd had everything checked out with my heart. So I I knew that Mm. was probably all, all, um, there was nothing obvious that, that I could see that was physically wrong, mm-hmm. but I was seriously having worries about my, my mental health really around that time. You know, mm-hmm. when uh, it's sort of kind of, it just sends you kind of half crazy, I guess, in a way. And, um, I just, uh, you know, worried that, um, you know, I, I think primarily the worry is that you just won't be able to cope anymore with with mm. life almost because you when you're in the middle of a period like that you just feel like um you know you can't kind of can't cope with with doing things anymore anymore and so me being a bit of a catastrophizing type mm. thinker which is something i'm trying to um to deal with in other ways but it leads you to start worrying that well if i can't get any sleep you know i won't be able to work anymore and then you know, the wheels will fall off as far as, uh, you know, just basically um, providing for the family. And so, you know, you just start thinking one one, one thing after another and it all becomes you know, just a, a huge snowball of worry <laughs> that's yeah. very difficult to get on top of. So I think that's that's the point where many people, including me, sort of say well surely there must be some drug that can at least help me get over this mm-hmm. this hump this short term whether it's a hump or but you you know just to basically you know get get things back in some kind of order to be able to make sense of it all i think that's when um you know people and i did the same thing i, I took some valium at that time which i hate but um you know, that's, that's, that's why you go down that path, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was actually just about to move on to that. So um, what kind of things did you do, you know, when, when you noticed these nights of no sleep at all started to crop up? Um, did you, was it a case that you just went to the doctor and they suggested medication or did you just feel that medication would be the thing that would help you get back on track? Was there anything else that you tried before going that route? Um, well, I felt I'd, tried many of the you know some many books obviously suggest a lot of pre-bedtime rituals and um, you know relaxation techniques and you know warm baths and herbal teas and things before bed and there's a long list of there's a long list of things that people um, swear by Mm. (laughs) insomnia is one of those things where where everyone has a different um suggestion that they they're only trying to help of course but if you wrote them all down and tried them all you'd be you'd be busy for about three or four hours before you actually went to bed um but yeah look i think um it's uh, yeah when when i was having that period of, of successive nights of no sleep you know i was aware of the fact that many of these things that you can try are um uh, take a fair while to to actually you know, work, um, and you're really looking for something 
quite short term. Um, I, I'd known from previous experience from taking a temazepam in hospital, which is another one of those benzodiazepines, that those those things worked for, for me in terms of at least being able to get a night of sleep. So I'd, I'd uh, when I went to the doctor the next day after that, they um, he ex- obviously explained to me all the risk of the benzodiazepines, which I already knew, mm. but he prescribed me some anyway, just for some short-term relief. And so I did take those and they did at least allow me to get some sleep and start <laughs> start getting my head back in order a little bit enough mm-hmm. to um, function and take some more sort of, shall we say, longer-term decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, so from yeah anyway from that point you know I I um I started to look in some other directions yeah other than because I, I knew that the the benzodiazepines weren't the answer and I knew all about how addictive they were and I was very keen not to not to go down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, you mentioned when we were talking before this call, you mentioned that um, at one point you had a sleep study done. Was that before you were you before you started to look to the, taking the medication, or was this after? Or wh- where did the sleep study fit in with regards to your sleep history? Yeah, so I think after February, um, you know, things things were certainly not getting better on the insomnia front. I'd had a trip to New Zealand with my wife, which was uh, we'd had a few nights there, which were pretty poor. Mm. Um, <laughs> we'd had a We'd had a weekend away at a, a nice, relaxing spa town in Victoria, and um, the the, uh, the night we had at the the, uh, the hotel, <laughs> um, I could feel that I was about to have my again a second night of no sleep. So mm-hmm. we disrupted <laughs> we disrupted that particular night with a midnight trip back home, so I could sleep sleep in my home bed. So you know that disrupted that nice weekend away. Mm-hmm. It was really after that that. Um, I started thinking, well, what else can I do? And there was a place nearby um, at a, a local hospital, which was um, which was a fairly well-regarded sort of sleep clinic. And so I went and saw, I was fortunate to be able to get to see one of their sleep doctors quite quickly. Um, and he sort of had a look at me and said, well, you might have sleep apnea based on your physiology I said I don't think I have sleep apnea because my wife would know um, you know whether I whether I had all had that mm. um, but anyway he said I need to you need to do a sleep study and that was the um, uh, anyone who's contemplating one of those things I found that to be the most a very expensive sort of waste of time uh, if you go if you've ever had one of these things done you basically go into hospital um, and they, they sort of wire you up like Frankenstein's, uh, like Frankenstein with electrodes and things all over your head. Mm-hmm. You can't, I don't see how anybody could possibly sleep at all with all those wires and things coming off them. But in any event, I did that. Um, and the diagnosis of that was no, um, no sleep apnea. Um, but the sleep doctor recommended, um, uh, two things, medication and, uh, and CBT. Um, mm-hmm. So, in my case, <clears throat> the medication that he recommended was um, some drug called gabapentin. Um, 
plus a synthetic uh, sort of melatonin. And um, so I started to take that. And uh, I also, um, he, he recommended a, a, a local therapist in Melbourne that could do the CBT stuff, mm-hmm. but she had like a three or four hour, a three or four month rather waiting list to see her. So that was no, no use to me. Um, but there was an online uh, CBT course that, that can be done um, in Australia. So I started, this is before I came across you and your site. So mm-hmm. I'd started that for, for uh, four or five weeks before I sort of had a look at your forum and started, started chatting to you. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I was familiar with CBT from some other work that I'd done um, related to um, anxiety and that I'd found that very helpful. So I was already, um, you know, pretty confident that um, the CBT and particularly the sleep restriction was going to, um, based on everything I'd read about, it was going to be effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I found that it's sure it sure was. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. That's, it's really interesting. You know, I think first of all, I'm, I was really happy when you told me that you had the sleep study done um, just to rule out sleep apnea, you know, but the, whoever you were working with that the sleep study suggested cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. Um, I just found that really encouraging because it, it needs to be recommended to everyone with chronic insomnia, but that's so very rarely the case. So people are just focusing all their attention on these, these techniques that are more related to sleep hygiene that aren't very helpful. Like you described them as all these pre-sleep rituals you know, like taking that hot bath, doing this, doing that, you know, maybe having the blackout curtains, doing the sound machines, trying to limit your exposure to light, all these things that aren't actually that helpful when you've got chronic insomnia, but you were kind of prompted to look into CBTI. And I just found that part of your story just so encouraging because you were kind of given that opportunity, you know, you were directed down the route that ultimately helped you get your sleep back on track. Mm. Yeah, look, this is what I found this very interesting because this chap that I saw, I won't give his name, but he's really a very eminent sleep physician in Australia. And, um, you know, I found it interesting, really, that, you know, he, he has a practice where he's, he's booked up with patients for, for three or four months. Obviously, people going there pretty desperate, like me, to get some answers for sleep. But really, if... If his um, the if you don't have sleep apnea, the only things that they can recommend or a doctor can recommend is medication. We know medication is really just a band aid measure to try to sort of you know get you back on track, like yeah. I was. But so the only real the only real tool he could offer was CBT, which was not actually something he could directly do anything about he sort of left it then entirely up to me to go and find what the best cbt resource was so effectively it was a as a a doctor that had no if if you like no tools in his arsenal to actually help me with if you follow what i'm saying yeah i can uh, yeah i do absolutely because i hear this like a lot i do hear it a lot a lot of people they'll seek medical advice um and maybe even cbt wouldn't even get discussed it would just be the default option would be some kind of prescription medication but at the times when cbti is discussed 
a lot of the doctors, it sounds like it's a similar situation in Australia, but here in the States, there's a really limited kind of referral network, you know, so doctors that do know about CBTI, they don't really have the time to engage in it in their own practice. But at the same time, they don't really have this referral network. So they can, like you just experienced, they can say, yeah, try CBTI, good luck, and kind of send you on your way. And you don't really have yeah. anyone that you can directly work with. It is a big problem. Yeah, it is. I think um, it's a huge problem. I think the more enlightened doc- doctors would know uh, a bit about it. But, you know, I've spent my life as a design engineer designing medical devices. And I, so I work with the medical profession quite closely. And, you know, the, the word, the word, to describe CBT in in insomnia and in anxiety as well is gold standard. Now, gold mm-hmm. standard means what what those two words are significant. It means there is no better treatment uh, modality than than this. So you know, if you want to, um, and the other thing that maybe people with insomnia perhaps aren't quite aware of is CBT isn't some some hick thing that um, you know, it sounds a bit hippie-ish and, uh, you know, somebody just thought was a good idea. It's got an extensive amount of clinical evidence behind it. There's, if, if you actually researched it and have a look at the, the technical papers about it online and the number of people that have been studied that have been through it, the numbers, you know, I'm a real numbers guy. The numbers don't lie. And that was, that was why I was so confident, really, that when I started it, I had a very... Uh, good feeling that it was going to to work and it Mm. did yeah and i think one reason i think that actually the reason why it's so effective is because it just gets to the bottom of all these factors that perpetuate the problem you know so we have this model of insomnia that uh, where we describe how insomnia develops from just this one night of poor sleep you know we have this precipitating event but it's all the things we kind of do in response that perpetuate the problem, you know? So for example, all this worry about sleep or maybe all this research, trying to go to bed earlier in the night, spending longer in bed, maybe napping during the day, trying to conserve energy, um, catastrophizing about the effects of sleep, all these things that just perpetuate the problem and make it really hard for our sleep to get back on track. CBTI Mm. just addresses all of these perpetuating factors and that's why i think it's so effective for everyone with chronic insomnia yeah i agree i think the biggest thing about it really that works is the hardest thing about it which is the sleep restriction which i'm sure we'll talk about but the you know my my issue was with all of the the pre-sleep rituals i could get myself into a state where i was before bed um, you know, I was as calm as a, a Buddhist monk, you know, I'd be sitting in front in sitting down in a chair, reading a book and fighting, um, sleep almost to stay awake till, um, you know, the sleep window thing started. And then, you know, at the start of the, well, before CBT, I suppose I could be really tired, but put my head on the pillow. And then suddenly I'm sure lots of people have this sleep onset anxiety, suddenly bang you're wide awake and um you're wide awake because you're anxious about getting a bad sleep and think oh no not this again but surely sure enough that's what happens with the sleep onset anxiety and i think 
you know, with the sleep restriction, <laughs> I think what happens is you just get so the difficulty with it is you get just get so overwhelmingly tired that you get to a point where your head hits the pillow and somehow you do just magic, just go to sleep and suddenly once once you get into this pattern of that happening a few times, the sleep onset anxiety seems to just wither away. And um, I, I found that, uh, as I said, that sleep restriction part of this program very difficult but necessary. Um, and that's that's the thing that works the best. Yeah, it, it is so helpful, especially when arousal is a problem, when you've got this high level of sleep-related anxiety, just because it helps to build that sleep drive. And once your sleep mm. drive gets to a point, like you said, you recognize that you are going to sleep. You know what? You can't stay awake indefinitely. So you kind of train yourself to recognize that once you get this intense level of sleepiness, you are going to sleep. But in combination, when you've got this higher level of sleep drive, kind of just takes the edge off of that high level of anxiety you know it's like these two competing factors and you can kind of use sleep drive to your advantage and help overpower you know that anxiety that you're feeling that's making it hard to fall asleep for sure yeah i agree so for people that aren't familiar with sleep restriction basically what it's about is just reducing the amount of time that you're allotting that you allot for sleep to just more closely match the amount of sleep you're currently getting on an average night. So it's not about forcing yourself to sleep less. It's just giving yourself a more appropriate amount of time, a more appropriate length of opportunity for sleep. So when you were implementing this, what what, what kind of sleep window were you looking at? How, how much time are you spending in bed before sleep restriction? And once you implemented the technique roughly, if you remember how much time were you allotting for sleep then? Yeah, so before the CBTI, um, you know, I think one of the, my problems was I was getting so tired that I would be thinking, I think I'll go to bed early tonight mm. um, and try to get a big catch-up sleep, which so I might go to bed at, say, 9 p.m. and say after after a couple of rough nights, might have a might actually have a big sleep, you know, maybe mm. even eight eight or nine hours of sleep, but the problem is that when when that pattern starts to happen, you're sort of setting yourself up for a cycle of big sleeps, no sleeps, big sleeps, no sleeps. It's very peaky yeah. and you're not sort of really kind of getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, with the sleep restriction, you tend to obviously not have these those great big sleeps, but you're trying trying to sort of balance it out more to to get, you know, maybe in the first week, as I did, you'll only average five and a half hours of sleep per night, but at least each night you're getting some sleep. So you're not having those debilitating nights of, of no sleep. But getting back to your question, as far as, you know, the word sleep efficiency goes, in other words, how much time you're actually speaks, uh, spending asleep divided by how much time you're in bed, I think before I started the CBT, you know, my sleep efficiency would have been maybe 70%, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, six or seven weeks after doing the CBT, it was up around like 95. Wow. I was falling asleep in five or 10 minutes mm -hmm. up once in the middle of the night. I'd go back to sleep five, in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much where I am now. 
That's 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 fantastic. And I think it, you made a really good point about when we allot this huge chunk of time for sleep because we want to get that much sleep. Uh, the problem that we have is we we do experience this roller coaster, you know, where we one night we might be in bed for eight, nine hours and get very little sleep. And then after a few days, because our sleep drive just becomes so intense, we get that big chunk of eight or nine hours of sleep, right? Only to then, mm. once that sleep drive has been reduced, to go back to struggling again. So you're just dealing with these ups and downs, ups and downs, which is just so frustrating. And yep. the sleep window really helps just helps you kind of even out those highs and lows and just consolidate sure. sleep. Is, was yeah. that how you experienced it too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I think uh, that's ex absolutely right. And, and it, to me, it was really the, the, um, those nights of, of no sleep, which, which, which were the debilitating thing. Um, and, you know, once the sleep restriction was sort of put that into place, Mm -hmm. um you know things started to improve so <clears throat> with the cbt i think um the first couple of weeks i was you know around five and a half hours average sleep probably 80 percent sleep efficiency mm -hmm. um by week seven i'd gotten up to about nearly oh, around about seven hours average sleep sometimes as much as seven and a half with 95 percent sleep efficiency and that continued for about three weeks uh i then sort of <laughs> went backwards for a couple of weeks week 11 and 12 there were some issues that happened there mm. um which caused me to go back to about six hours sleep a night and my sleep efficiency dropped away again to about sort of mid 70s and then after that and for the last four weeks i'm back to about sort of seven hours of sleep a night and sort of 85, 90% sleep efficiency. So, yeah. um, you know, and that's, but really over the last four weeks, I think probably only had one, one bad night of sleep. Yeah. Um, and which was probably a couple of hours, but, you know, I still expect to have a bad night of sleep here and there. It's just, just, just half of the course for me. So I don't get too worried about that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that's important to emphasize too, is because when you're trying to, when you're going through this process of getting your sleep back on track, it's so easy to dwell on any bad nights that you have along the way or to mm. expect that your progress should just be completely incremental. You know, every night should be an improvement on the last night. Um, but it's completely normal for sleep to be disrupted, you know, because even the best sleepers in the world will always have a bad night every now and then. You know, yeah. and yeah. it's so important to just recognize that a bad night is normal um, and that ultimately it's kind of our response to that bad night that determines how quickly our sleep is just going to recover from that bad night. Yeah, that's very true. I think, um, you know, in, in with the bad nights, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of baked into the program of CBT more or less that you are going to still have the odd bad night mm -hmm. um, or maybe a few of them in the week. And um, the difficulty I think people will tend to face is they'll look at those bad nights and um, not be thinking clearly enough and say, Oh, this program isn't working, you know, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll abandon it. I think that's where it's, it's really important. I think 
anyone who's doing this CBTI to to be a bit rigorous about the sleep diaries. Um, you know, I'm a, as I said, I'm a real numbers guy, and so I I was pretty pretty rigid about the sleep diaries, and also I I still use a spreadsheet to actually track not just my sleep, but things like how my mood is going during the day and um, some other things which which help me with. Um, they basically just help me to look at things from more of a macro perspective to say, you know, look on balance, this trend is, is getting better and, um, you know, ignore the outliers in the data, the mm. one or two bad nights of sleep here and there. Generally, the trend is improving. So for me, those numbers were really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I would say anyone doing CBT, don't get disillusioned by the few nights you'll have a bad sleep. Have a look at the overall numbers and the patterns there. Um, be 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 very very patient with yourself. You know, don't. It, in my case, it sort of took, you know, six or seven weeks for things to start being noticeably better, and that's mm-hmm. quite a long time. Um, yeah, so those are the main things I think. I think that's really good advice. It is. Uh we have to make a conscious effort to look at the better nights because otherwise our brain will just default all of its focus on those, those bad nights. Right. Because they're, they're the problem areas. So our brain wants to solve the problem areas. So it completely ignores any good nights and just focuses on all the bad nights or all the nights that you're not, you weren't satisfied with. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people, with insomnia like me are more likely than not to be um, people that are a bit, tend to be a bit anxious anyway. Mm-hmm. And people who are a bit anxious tend to maybe a bit like me catastrophize more about the bad, the bad times than they do to sort of celebrate what's happening with the good ones. If you know yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, I completely understand. And it's also really important to recognize that you're implementing changes that are a long-term approach. You know, so you're mm-hmm. you're implementing things today that are going to reap benefits for months and years and decades down the line. So it yeah. really is important to take that long term view. You know, so how you slept last night or how you're going to sleep tomorrow night in the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter. It's all about just implementing these techniques and staying committed to them in order to get those long term improvements that you're looking for. For sure, absolutely, yeah. So, and and when you do get those improvements, you know, I spoke before about that vicious cycle, but, you know, you can start creating a virtuous cycle when, when things start to improve that you're, uh, you'll find when insomnia starts to improve, anxiety sometimes just gets, you know, it doesn't seem quite so so bad and, you know, depression starts to lift and everything starts looking a lot better in life completely agree and this is something that i talk a lot about with clients is that that could because they recognize this vicious cycle you know the way that more anxiety leads to more sleep disruption and that leads to more sleep anxiety but the great thing with these cbti techniques is as soon as you kind of get that that first you know that first night you know when you first recognize that for example sleep restriction is working and you've got that really intense sleep drive really struggling to stay awake and you fall asleep and you get that night and it's kind of like this discovery that oh i I can sleep things are things can improve and that kind of just chips away at the worry a little bit and as that worry goes down you find sleep a little bit easier 
And then mm. as a result, the worry goes down even more. And as a result, sleep becomes easier. So it's kind of a positive cycle. It turns that vicious cycle completely on its head and just really helps you improve. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know you mentioned in your email to me before this talk that there's a lot of doom and gloom about insomnia. And, you know, there sure is because it's a, it's a rotten problem. But, mm. um, yeah, if you can get on top of it, you know, I can remember that feeling when, uh, I first put together kind of two or three nights in a row of seven-ish hours of sleep and, you know, with very little interruption in the middle of the night. And, uh, oh, my goodness, it was such a blissful feeling in the morning to wake up mm. and think, oh, that was just, oh, that's what that's what life is. <laughs> mm. Waking up feeling refreshed rather than, you know, waking up in the, in the or not even waking up, but getting up in the morning thinking, oh, I feel terrible. I haven't had any sleep last night and, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of, that was your reward for getting through that short, short term struggle, you know, and just being yeah. committed to that sleep window, because it does take time uh, for you to see those results. And in the short yeah. term, like you described, it can be really challenging and it can be it so tempting to just give up and just say, this isn't working. And, and then kind of be back to square one. But I find in my experience that the people that just stick with it, um, they'll get results and they'll notice improvements in their sleep, but it, it definitely can be a challenge. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. hard. Did you find any other uh, CBTI techniques helpful um, or was it just primarily just this sleep restriction and just observing this more appropriate sleep window? Well, I think that the two major things were really the, um, were the sleep restriction and and probably the the idea of this idea of going to bed at a fairly late late hour for me you know 11 11 30 i found that challenge really challenging to stay up um till that time especially when you've had a lot of nights of restricted sleep mm. um but i felt that was really um that was really helpful as well to, to, and i still um Still, I'm still doing that now, going to bed much later than I, I used to. And mm. I find that very helpful. Yeah. Um, but those were the two main things um, that I, I remember anyway as being the yeah. most. Well, that, that plus keeping the sleep diaries, I think those were all the things that really helped me. Mm. What kind of things would you do in the evening? Like in, in the early days of sleep restriction, a lot of people... Um, struggle with staying awake until the start of the sleep window so they're always looking for ideas on like things to do to prevent them from prematurely falling asleep did you have any specific strategies for that yeah so i found that that period of trying to when where, so when you're feeling very tired and trying to stay awake till 11 11 30 really hard you know i, I would find myself if i was reading a book or listening to some music or watching TV kind of doing this micro sleep thing where you just sort of keep nodding off and nodding off. And then I didn't, I don't think that's, that was very helpful in terms of um, then when you finally do want to get to sleep. Um, it's sort of like um, for, if you get into that pattern, the way I think of it is that, for two or for a couple of hours before you're actually going to sleep, your brain is saying, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. And then all of a sudden you're going to go to bed and you want your brain to say, now go to sleep. Well, it's sort of like all these mixed messages. And, you, you know, you just, I found that when my head hit the pillow, 
um, I was just, I was, I would be almost about to fall asleep and my brain would suddenly say, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. Like it was fighting micro sleep still. So those micro sleeps I found weren't helpful. So um, activity, which isn't um, overly exertive, I think in that finding some activity that you can do in those few hours before bed is, is, um, is really helpful. In my case, um, I can do some music practice because I, I play uh, trombone, so that was good. But mm-hmm. the, big, the biggest thing for me was I found going for a really long walk, <laughs> this is a bit weird, but um, going for a really long walk at, say, um, even 10 o'clock or 9.30, and a, you know, maybe an hour walk or more, I found that really helpful um, mm-hmm. because it would make me t- tired enough that that would help me to go to sleep but I wasn't obviously you can't micro sleep while you're going for a walk. Um, but it's, it's sort of also not a form of activity, which is too demanding so that you're mm. all, you know, pumped up like going to the gym or something. And then you're too, you're actually too alert to go to sleep. So mm-hmm. yeah, lots of, uh, lots of moonlight walking for mm. me yeah. <laughs> was, was really helpful. Yeah. I think that is a, that is a good tip. And I, I like to say anything that gets you moving, you know, because yeah. it's very hard to fall asleep when you're moving. So yes. even if the idea of going outdoors and going for a walk in the evening isn't appealing, then even if it just involves standing up and moving just around your own home, you know, even yeah. just some just some light chores, even just anything that keeps you moving can really help you just can really help if you're finding yourself struggling to stay awake in the short term to the start of that sleep yeah. window. Yep, I would totally agree with that. So, um, all right, so let's talk about how long it took for you to notice these improvements in your sleep. I think you kind of touched upon this. So, like, really, I think you mentioned, like, seven to eight weeks was when you got to that point where you felt that you'd made real progress. Um, But how how long was it until things, like, clicked and you actually recognized that the techniques you were implementing were just actually making a difference and were helping you? Um, so around about week five, I think I could definitely see that I was getting, I was making some progress. I was probably, you know, I'd certainly increased my, my sleep window was getting wider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see, see my sleep efficiency was getting, getting better. Um, so I'd certainly started to see some progress by week five. It was sort of like almost a sudden a sudden switch from week four to week five, um, for up to week four, uh, everything, everything felt like, um, it was taking a long time to mm. fall into place, but yeah, by week five, things were start, certainly noticeably improving. And then as I said, by week seven, I was, I was sleeping pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's great. I, I think it's really important for people to hear that just because if you'd have given up, you know, uh, halfway through week three, for example, then you wouldn't be where you are now, but it was your perseverance, you know, that you, you carried on with these techniques and you got to that point where you did get the results. And that's, that's, that's really important for people to hear, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, as I said, for me, it was really, that's where the numbers become really important. Not only your own numbers, as far as the sleep diary and the trends, but if you were that way inclined, you know, jump online and, and Google the myriads of clinical data that's actually out there and read some papers on CBT and insomnia and 
then you'll begin to realize why it's called the gold standard because you know, for people who have insomnia, um, there really isn't much else. I hate to tell you, but you know, it's either CBT or medication. If you hate medication, then, you know, you don't have too many other choices, I'm afraid. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a real shame that we don't see more information about CBTI out there, you know, that we, you kind of do have to dig deep into this, into this scientific realm of journals. And we, it's not like in the mass media, like all the, all the scary headlines about insomnia, you know, and all the, all the, all the sleep hygiene advice is often the first thing that you'll see where we, can you imagine what kind of world we'd live in if all the newspapers were reporting stories on CBTI success rates and looking at people that implemented CBTI techniques and got their sleep back on track? We would just live in such a such a better better world, and I think insomnia would be far less of a problem. Yeah, well, we do we do live in a world where you know everybody, including me, would ideally like a quick fix. You know, we mm. would love to be able to take a pill which solved the problem tomorrow which didn't give us any nasty side effects um and you know that's why that's why the market for um you know for medication for insomnia is as massive as it is um because everybody wants to everybody wants that um but you know the reality is that unfortunately the side effects with so many of these medications are so awful that um you know, you just, you sort of, you might be partially solving one problem, but you're creating another massive problem, which, which, um, which the doctors don't tell you with a lot of these medications, what, what is actually involved when you actually, if you actually want to withdraw from them at a later stage. And, um, anybody that's been on any of these medications and has tried to withdraw from them will know how difficult that that can be um uh, so yeah you just, i don't just don't see medication as the answer so as i said i think this is the only solution yeah and i think that 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 is part of the problem right is because we can take um, a medication and feel as though we're sleeping better but because it doesn't get to the root cause of the problem that's perpetuating the insomnia like cbti does as soon as you start to decide to stop taking the medication or try and taper off it, often your sleep issues can return. And so then you're trapped into this, well, what do I do now? Does this mean I have to take medication forever? Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. It's, yeah. it's they really at best. Uh, I think they have a place when you, when you're at a crisis point and mm -hmm. you just need some, some relief, but um, and that's certainly the way that, that Valium did help me, I guess, from that perspective. But you, you really, I think you'd be wise to only view them as a very temporary kind of band-aid, like putting a band-aid on a, on a cut or trying mm -hmm. to staunch a wound. Um, unfortunately, the, the solution isn't, isn't, which is CBT, isn't a quick fix, mm -hmm. but it, as I said, I think I just think it's the it's the only solution, really. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and I I do think that these sleeping medications definitely have their place in the short term, but they are never a long term solution uh, for people with chronic insomnia. Yeah, agreed. 
All right, Bill. So I've got, I know I've taken a lot of your time today and I just have one last question for you. Sure. Um, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and they feel as though they've tried everything, they're beyond help and they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? Um, yeah, I, thought, I think that's actually a really good question. So if somebody who had chronic insomnia, for instance, and tried CBTI really properly and given it a good go, and that hadn't worked for them, then um, I, I think that's possibly a position that many people on your forum that I've had a look at uh, are in. Um, then my, my, it's only a suggestion because I'm not an expert like you, but I think that essentially underlying all insomnia is probably has to be really anxiety. And I think therefore the answer lies in trying to get to the root of what is actually the cause of the anxiety. Where does this actually come from? In my case, it goes back a long way into childhood. Um, but there's basically, um, I think what, what people would need to do would be to, to go go into that and, you know, with some perhaps a psychologist to try to try to understand where the anxiety is coming from and then try to to deal with it. But so in my case, I think over the last 14 months, there's lots and lots of things that I've done with meditation, mindfulness. You know, I've gone back to church, which has helped a lot. I've had a psychologist that I've worked with for a year. I've gotten sort of more in touch with my, my inner me and deeper mm. self and started pursuits again like music that I really love, um, you know, deepen connections with family and friends, use massage, um, hugs. Mm. <laughs> I've really cut down on my work, which has been, you know, a, a super important part of all this to de-stress life so that... Um, you know, not, not going to sleep and thinking, oh, my God, I've got, you know, six client meetings the next day. I'm down to a couple of days a week, which, you know, I can still manage with. Um, so lots and lots of, of things. Um, and they're all little things, but when you add them all up, they make a big effect on um, just reducing anxiety overall. Now, I know not everybody is in that, in that position, but... You know, as I said, my, my biggest advice would be to say, well, what is actually, why are you so anxious? Can you actually think of when you became anxious? Can you actually think back of a time when you used to sleep well? And what, what was going on in your life back then? Were things a lot simpler? And can you actually make some, make some efforts or strides to get back to that point when life mm -hmm. was a bit simpler and you weren't so anxious? So... Yeah, it's not an easy answer to the question. And again, it's not a quick fix. But essentially, I think that's where probably for a lot of people, that's probably where the, the root of the problem is. Yeah, I think a lot of people will identify with, with what you've said for sure. And I think it can be really helpful if, you know, following your advice, you kind of look to uncover these, what those thoughts are that are generating this anxiety. And especially if you can work on that in combination with the behavioral side of CBTI, you know, you can really maximize your chance of this long-term success because whilst you're working on the more cognitive, the more like analyzing your thoughts side of things, but at the same time, implementing appropriate behaviors around sleep, you know, like not going to bed until you're 
sleepy enough for sleep and getting out of bed when you're struggling, you know, that kind of two prong approach can, can really be helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, totally agree. All right, Bill. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. I think it's always great for people to hear these success stories, you know, these transformations. I think it can just provide reassurance and it can also just give people that motivation, especially if maybe they've tried CBTI in the past for a couple of weeks and, you know, didn't find it helpful maybe to just give it another try just with the idea that it's really this long-term approach and that you've really got to give it that time to notice the results. Yeah. Well, I also just wanted to thank you and there's not many, uh, shall we say, beacons or lighthouses out there in the wilderness for people who are suffering from insomnia and you're certainly one of them and your your forums and your advice are you know a huge huge help quite life-changing to many many people so um you know i just wanted to thank you for doing this and all your helpful advice as well i really appreciate that thank you and of course you're very welcome thanks again okay thanks martin bye Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two-week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.